Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast exploring themes, material, culture and stories that relate to the struggles and triumphs of women, both past and present. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard and in today's mini episode we will be analysing the iconography of female power as seen in art and material culture. This is a mighty topic and there is tremendous scope. For example, the symbolism of female power will inevitably differ from country to country and it would be interesting to cover a wide variety of time periods and countries and perhaps there is potential to expand on this idea. However, in this short episode, I will be focusing specifically on the royal portraits of Elizabeth I who was Queen of England from 1558 until 1603. At just 25, Elizabeth ascended the throne, following the bloody reign of her elder sister, Mary. Her royal status was met with controversy immediately, as well as being a woman, her legitimacy was also questioned, as throughout her life, her father, Henry VIII, had failed to acknowledge her as his lawful daughter, due to the untimely execution of her mother and his second wife, Anne Boleyn. Despite this, however, Elizabeth's reign is often considered to be a golden age in British history, as England experienced a great economic and cultural growth. When we think of male rulers, certain tropes in portraiture are often conjured up in our minds. We see the proud regal stance and since medieval depictions, the glistening gold crown encrusted with jewels has become a clear visual signal of their royalty. Later, we would see the likes of Charles I clad in armour and astride a powerful white horse, looking ready for battle. Sometimes they would be surrounded by a cluster of male heirs, or there may be illusions linking them to the Roman Empire, or even divine lights symbolising their divine right to rule. Regardless, visual depictions of royalty are drenched in imagery that tells us how powerful, strong, fertile and godly these individuals who wore the crown were. However, what happens when they are also a woman and have much more to prove? Although they wield the same power, female rulers could never quite be separated from their sex, which would inevitably feed into and become a crucial and perhaps politically important aspect of their identity. Elizabeth I's rule is rich with visual symbolism. One popular story is that when she discovered her sister had died and she was to become queen, Elizabeth was sat beneath the boughs of an oak tree on the grounds of Hatfield House. Whether or not this legend is true, we'll likely never know, but we cannot escape the power of this imagery, as the oak tree signifies her deep-rooted right to the throne, and also has a definite patriotic bent, as being an iconic indigenous tree, it imbues the tale with a patriotism that cannot be escaped. When we consider the iconography of the tree, we can see how its symbolism can manipulate the story of a royal and present a certain idea of them. This, as mentioned, is also the case with artistic portrayals of royals, and in particular the iconography of Elizabeth I's portraits, 
can tell us a great deal about her status as a queen and the image she wanted to project. It also can tell us a lot about the evolution of Elizabeth I's reign and how her image kind of morphed over time as she reinvented herself, particularly as she got older. The first portrait I will be looking at is Queen Elizabeth I by an unknown artist, which was painted in 1560. This portrait is early in Elizabeth's reign, when she was in her late 20s or early 30s. She is dressed in fashionable clothing with rich golden jewels and a fur-trimmed cloak. Her features are also pretty but generic, beyond her red hair peeking out from beneath her black cap and thin dark eyebrows. There is little to relate this portrait to later portraits of her. This is interesting because the portrait is void of those symbols we have come to associate with Elizabeth, such, such as objects pointing to her virginity or her wisdom. The reason for this is because Elizabeth at this stage was still expected to marry. It was only when her status as England's bride and the Virgin Queen was solidified that images of her changed to reflect this narrative. In fact, this portrait has more in common with other portraits of marriageable young women than with images of royalty, as it's quite simple and her youth and beauty are highlighted over her power and status, particularly when you consider the simplicity of her clothing. This is very different to the rich and lavish gowns she would wear later in life. In contrast to this, we have another portrait of Elizabeth, which was painted a bit later in 1575. So this portrait is also referred to as the Darnie portrait and is really awe-inspiringly beautiful. and was undoubtedly painted from life by a, by a Netherlandish artist. Uh, you can tell this by some stylistic details, um, in particular the incredible beauty and, and uh, intricacy of this feather fan that she is holding. There is also evidence that it was drawn freehand, which is interesting, so you can really picture her posing for this. And I think there is an undoubtable likeness, as her features are strikingly realistic, as she stares out of the frame, delicately holding the fan, which was likely a gift from a courtier, with a crown sat in the background on a table. And you'll see this quite a lot, so there will always be a crown somewhere in a portrait of her, just to remind us that she is not just a woman, she is the queen. The portrait was once much more vibrant, and the colours have faded over time, giving Elizabeth a deathly pale complexion, which she would become famous for in the public consciousness. This particular three-and-a-quarter pose would also be reused in copies of other portraits of the Queen later on, although this is perhaps one of the best indicators of what Elizabeth really looked like. The stunning embroidered gold dress is the real star of the show, as well as the gorgeous jewels which also present some interesting iconography for us to examine. In terms of the dress itself, it's actually based on a Polish style doublet, and is quite masculine in its cut. A strong symbol of Elizabeth asserting herself as being equal to other European kings. In addition, the jewels depict a red ruby surrounded 
by representations of Roman gods, including Minerva, the goddess of wisdom, Jupiter, the ruler of the gods, and Venus, the goddess of love. Uh, there is also Cupid and Mars, the god of love and war, and they also feature, so it's a whole feast of gods. I find this interesting that she wore something that was reflective of so many different gods and feel this evokes her as possessing masculine, kingly qualities as well as feminine qualities. Once more, Elizabeth was highly educated and wearing something like this would uh, have evoked her classical learning, once more separating her from women of her day who might not have benefited from the level of tutoring she did. The third portrait is again by an unknown artist and here we see her really coming into her own. So this is of course the famous Armada portrait and is one of the most iconic portraits of Elizabeth. Uh, as the name indicates, the portrait was painted to celebrate the defeat of the Spanish Armada uh, in 1588 and shows the Queen, with images surrounding her that tell this story and symbolise Elizabeth's dominance over the world and power as a queen. In addition, her enormous pearl-encrusted dress creates a broad, intimidating frame that highlights her status and dwarfs her slender, almost frail physique. This painting tells a clear story, with the majestic English ships visible from the windows, bathed in golden light, contrasting greatly with those Spanish ships being tossed around in a stormy sea. Again, you have the crown in the background, highlighting that she is the queen, and you have the symbolism of the ships, as well as the, the size of the dress. Uh, here we also see more of those symbols of her virginity, so in particular, her pearl-encrusted gown, um, is very reflective of virginity, so the pearl is a common symbol of that. And then finally, we have perhaps, uh, I don't know why I was just going to make like a Pokemon ref reference. This is the Queen's final evolution um, in the Ditchley portrait, which is just full on uh, Queen Elizabeth I at her most regal, her most powerful. Um, and this was painted in 1592 by Marcus Garratz the Younger. Uh, I feel like with each portrait, the depiction of Elizabeth becomes increasingly exuberant and lavish, and the symbolism and details really stand out. So the Ditchley portrait is a perfect example of this, as we see Elizabeth standing in a richly embroidered white dress with a huge ruff uh, on top of the map of the world. So it's a bit of an upgrade from her simply resting her hand on a globe. This portrait was commissioned by Sir Henry Lee uh, and was held at the estate at Ditchley, where the portrait remained until 1932, when it was given to the National Portrait Gallery. It was painted to commemorate the Queen's visit in 1592 and was likely included as an allegorical image in the visit's staged entertainment as it also included Latin inscription on the theme of forgiveness. So it was a, a very theatrical backdrop. Infrared reflectography revealed that the sun in the upper left corner was originally depicted 
in, um, in much more detail with the great bursts of light stretching across the entire scene. Due to abrasion of the paint service, the details have faded over time, but was likely linked to the sonnet in the cartouche in the lower right corner, which refers to the Queen as, quote, Prince of Light, further evoking how images of the Queen were often slightly masculine in tone. This is perhaps one of the most symbolically rich portraits of the Queen and has exquisite attention to detail. The armalee sphere that hangs from Elizabeth's ears was a symbolic reference to her divine power and also the, the emblem of her annual accession day. Um, I'll, I'll just touch a bit on some more unusual iconography that we can see in some portraits of the Queen. So there is this 1580s to 90s portrait of Elizabeth in which she was holding a serpent. This is an unusual choice and most would not be surprised to hear that the snake was later painted over with a cluster of roses. Inevitably, this decision was taken due to the serpent's satanic connotations and Elizabeth's status as a godly and pure ruler. However, originally this iconography would have been chosen because the serpent was often used to indicate wisdom and sound judgment, which were attributes closely associated with Elizabeth's rule. Uh, there is also uh, the sieve, so what you would drain rice and pasta in and sometimes she is holding this and I doubt she did any cooking um, but when she is painted holding a sieve this is a reference to the Roman myth of Tuccia, a vestal virgin sworn to live a life chastely and to serve as a priestess at the temple of Vesta who was accused of sleeping with a man and consequently proved her innocence by carrying a sieve of water from the Tiber. Although it was shocking that Elizabeth remained unmarried as a young woman, as she grew older it became an important part of her identity and elevated her to an almost divine status where she did not have to behave and operate in the normal sphere of her gender. So the final portrait I will be discussing, which also has some of that slightly strange, unusual iconography um, and is perhaps my favourite due to its weirdness, is called the Rainbow Portrait, which I saw on display this year at Hampton Court Palace. This portrait was painted in around 1600, just a few years before Elizabeth's death depicts her as an ageless beauty with fuller cheeks and a youthful glow. Even though she would have been in her late 60s, it was almost certainly not painted from life either and was worked from secondary older portraits um, of the Queen, so perhaps um, that earlier portrait I talked about, the Darnie portrait. Uh, the weirdness I was talking about refers to the symbolism of the painting, in particular the rainbow she holds in her hand and the assortment of intimidating eyes and ears that scatter her orange gown. The meaning of this ex is exactly what you'd expect, so Elizabeth sees and hears all, which is certainly believable when considering the number of rebellions and plots she had survived. Another common embellishment on her clothing is pearls, which, as I've already said, alludes to her virginity. 
um, which, as stated, became an essential part of her image as a queen, who was so devoted to her country she remained unmarried. The rainbow is an unusual touch and is quite faded here, resembling more of a piece of piping than a colourful natural phenomenon. Its meaning is as gentle and wholesome as you would expect and signifies peace. I suppose Elizabeth's wielding of the image points to her being the possessor of peace and I feel like many of these other portraits depict her as being a sort of superhuman ruler with immense power. She's always standing on things and grasping things and you know she takes very active parts in the the portrayal of her of her iconography as if she is you know waving it in your face <laughs> uh, but yeah this is a really interesting portrait i feel like it's quite different to others um and when i first saw it i was surprised that it was uh as old as it was and it was painted in her lifetime because it it seems almost like uh like a copy or a, a romanticized idealized portrait of the queen um, from later in her life or from after when she died and I'm just looking at it now and I can see it almost looks like on her sleeve I mean I could be totally wrong but there's some sort of embroidered shape that in my mind resembles a snake so maybe the snake features again in this in this portrait um, and the reason why it was on display at Hampton Court Palace is because they had this incredible altarpiece that was made from fabric that was believed to have been a part of a gown belonging to Elizabeth. And it is, uh, it's been heavily researched and I, I feel like people feel quite confidently that this uh, piece of fabric is the only known surviving garment that belonged to the Queen. And it really strongly resembles the bodice in the dress she is wearing in this portrait. Um, very bucolic with lots of flowers and sort of insects and things. Really beautiful. Constructing a clear identity would have been extremely important to Elizabeth, as she had a lot to prove. However, she was an excellent ruler and England truly flourished under her reign. Although... She was advised by a close group of trusted males. She also wielded the power and had the final say, as nothing could progress without her signature of approval. She was also not simple and was incredibly educated in international diplomacy as well as speaking multiple languages. It is evident that she was highly competent, no matter what her doubters said, but regardless of her natural abilities, she still had to present herself in a certain way that reassured her people and instilled faith in her as their queen. Iconography played a powerful part in this and helped to shape the woman we see today, who in all her finery has remained something of a mystery, with her white pallor hiding her true face. Many of these portraits reflect an ageless, divine, virgin queen, devoted and loyal to her country, so powerful she literally stands on the world, and so wise her body is drenched with eyes and ears that hear and see all. The symbolism of her size and the greatness of her sleeves and gowns seem to stretch beyond fashion and harken back to the great bulking stature of her father, perhaps also reflecting something about her strength, as well as the images of victory and war 
and her divine royal pedigree. Later, Queen Victoria would also use art to project an image of herself, but mostly as the epitome of Victorian motherhood and queenly fertility, surrounded by her family and gazing up trustingly at her beloved Prince Albert, very different to the fiercely independent Queen Elizabeth I, who through her portraits, we can assume was a woman who did not need a king by her side to rule her people. I hope you have enjoyed this mini episode. I will be posting all the resources I have used in the show notes and every portrait mentioned on Instagram, which you can follow at the Museum of Femininity. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and enjoy the sun. Uh, And yes, goodbye.